join with me this morning in turning to the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Our focus this morning is going to be in verse 28 of chapter 1, but I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. So if you would, follow along with me in God's Word as I read Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. Hear the Word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, we pray that you would speak, speak clearly into the hearts of your people today. We ask Father, for the grace and strength to be able to set aside every distraction, every anxious thought, anything that may be worrying us. And we turn our eyes now to our Lord Jesus Christ. Please let us see him emerge from the words of your holy word. And this we ask in Jesus' name. I was counseled many, many years ago as a young man about how important it was to set goals, career goals, personal goals, making the right decisions to ensure that I achieved these goals. And I was told that it's very important that I write these things down. If you don't commit it to writing, somewhere down the road you may forget Something's going to come up, you'll get distracted, you'll get off course, and before you know it, you're not even aiming for the goals that you had set. You're just wandering around in circles, spinning your wheels. I don't really want to make the case today about setting goals, personal goals, and so forth. In fact, I, I want to actually caution you to some degree about being careful that in making goals, we don't put them on uh, a level that we neglect other things uh, along the way, like uh, our families, our spouses if we're married, our children if we have them, uh, the Lord's church, uh, and so on and so forth. And I think sometimes that 
people who have done this and have written these things down and they go back and consult it, they, they become so committed to this. And not knowing this, many of you, I think, have learned along the way that sometimes the Lord changes our course, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I don't want to delve into that too much. Uh, maybe another day we will. But what I want us to see from our text today is that there is a goal in our coming together and doing what we are doing Sunday after Sunday. There's a purpose in this. I'm not sure that all of you are even aware of what it is. But there is a purpose. We do have a goal. Little by little, by God's grand design, this goal is being attained. Now, we may not see it the way we want to see it. In fact, sometimes we may not even see it at all. It may frustrate us because we can't measure it and quantify it the way the world measures and quantifies things. This is a spiritual endeavor that we are undertaking here. We leave the, the measuring and, and, and assessment and so forth up to the Lord, but we must recognize that it is taking place. I want, want to, with this in mind, present this question to you. Are you growing in Christ? Are you more mature today than you were last week, last month, last year? Or are you just kind of stuck in a rut, spinning your wheels, still dealing with the same issues, <coughs> unable to, to thwart the nagging sins, that have been bothering you for some time. Well, Scripture encourages us to take stock of ourselves sometimes, to, to evaluate ourselves, and to recognize the importance of spiritual growth. And our text tells us the one way that the Lord has ensured that this will come about in His church. And as stated here, it, it is through gospel preaching, as it says here, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How does our text show us this? Well, let's take a look. And you may want to hold on to your seat here just for a moment, because I only have two points today. This goes against everything within me, but I only have two points. We're, we're going to look at this along two streams of thought, two, two main ideas. As I said, our focus is going to be on verse 28, which basically presents to us two central ideas, which is the proclamation of Christ and then what that produces, which is the maturity of the church. Now, I'm going to approach these in reverse order. So I want to begin this morning with a consideration of the goal of gospel ministry. Uh, the goal or purpose of gospel ministry. And there 
are more than one. I don't want to uh, give the idea that there's only one. There's much that the gospel accomplishes, probably more than we can fathom. But for the purpose of our text here today, what is the purpose of the gospel? And it is maturity. It is the maturity of the Lord's church. This maturity that comes about in Christ's church is the result of apostolic gospel ministry. Apostolic gospel ministry. Now I want to pause for a moment and define that term for you. What do we what do we mean? Well, I'm not saying that myself or anyone else is an apostle. That's not what we mean by this term. In fact, I would argue that there are no apostles today who function in the way that the apostles did in the days of the early church. Well, how do we know this? Well, apostles received direct revelation from Jesus. And they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to inscribe that revelation for us. We have it on the pages of what we call the New Testament. But there is no new revelation today. God's Word is complete. Everything that He wants to say, He has said. Now, is God still revealing Himself to people? Yes, He is still opening the hearts of, of His chosen and bringing them to Himself. So in that sense, yes, there is revelation still taking place. But are there any new words, any new messages? No. The canon is closed. And really, that's what we mean when we use this phrase, apostolic gospel ministry. You notice here in our text that Paul says that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Now, I mention this because we uh, don't have any knowledge that Paul ever visited this church. He did not know this church directly from a visit as he did with most of the other churches that he addressed letters to. He knew this church uh, from an association. They knew of Paul. They knew about him. And yet he mentions here his partation in the work there at Colossae. Now how can that be if he's not there? because Paul is participating in the apostolic ministry of the gospel. The continuation of gospel ministry which is still taking place today. What we are having here today in our church is simply the continuation of something that is described in Acts 2.42 where it says the church devoted themselves or continued in or, or persevered in the apostles' doctrine. Now, now, what is the Apostles' Doctrine? Was it something that the Apostles came up with? Again, no. This was teaching that they received directly from the Lord Jesus. And in that sense, what we are doing here today, and every Lord's Day that we gather together, is apostolic gospel ministry. Uh, and it's such a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, it's hard work to sit back and work and study and prepare, but it's such an ease of mind for the preacher to know that he doesn't have to come up with a new word. 
Sometimes have to come up with a, a new message. There, there are no new messages. We preach Christ. We preach the gospel. What was relevant and effective for the church at Colossae in Paul's day is the same gospel that is at work here in our midst today. This is what we need. And we may touch on this more here in just a moment, but I wanted to give you that definition. You may find that phrase somewhere in, in some of your reading. Our text tells us that the goal or purpose of gospel ministry is maturity. Maturity. That we might present everyone mature in Christ. And so we need to give you another definition now. What does this word mean? What do you think when you hear the word mature? I've got to tell you, I think of something that's not really good. I, I, I hear a, a girl in junior high looking over at a boy in junior high, and you know what she's saying. You're so immature. Right? <laughs> and she's probably right. <laughs> because we know that some of the most mature people in the world are, are girls in junior high. Some of the most immature people in the world are boys in junior high. There's a bit of truth to this, but we, we probably think of maturity as how one acts. Uh, that is, if, if someone, and again, I'm sorry, I'm a boy, but I usually have uh, uh, boys in mind here, who's acting silly, acting foolishly, not acting their age. And so you have one such boy, you might say, hey, would you stop being so immature? Would you grow up and act your age as my wife does sometime with me? The... Uh, Greek word here is actually hard to translate with just one word in English. Uh, the ESV here has mature. Some translations have the word perfect. Well, one scholar says one of those words is a little too strong. One of them is a little too weak, and I think he has a point. But sometimes a single word just won't do it. But what we need to see in this word mature is the idea of a process that is taking place. Now something happening, and it's going to reach a conclusion. It's going to reach an end point. But that's what we're looking at here. There's a, there's a process that will at some point reach its conclusion. That is, in the church, there is something taking place. There is a process that is going on. Are you aware of this? It's happening. Little by little by little, and at some point it will be concluded. Uh, a good way to see this is with an illustration, and one that I think is helpful is if you maybe imagine a plant, a, a, a small plant, maybe seeds. You, you go out and plant some seeds, and let's say uh, a tomato plant. Most of us don't plant those seeds, though. We just buy the little bitty ones, right? You can get them, and then you raise them yourself. But that little three or four inch tall tomato plant, you don't expect to get tomatoes from it right away, do you? It takes time. It's got to go through that process. And in that process, it needs to be cared for. It needs to be watered. It needs to, to 
have the, the weeds from around it pulled and you need to check it. And at some point as it grows up, you're gonna get one of those wire cages to, to slip over the top of it. So that as the branches get bigger and it starts to produce fruit, uh, tomatoes are, are, are uh, very sensitive and the, the branches will, will bend down and break. So you, you get one of those cages and then in time, this plant will produce fruit if you are not me trying to grow <laughs> tomatoes. Probably you will be able to, to produce some tomatoes. But at what point do you have ripe fruit when the plant has reached maturity? So it goes with any plant or, or really any tree. Brother Aaron read from Psalm 1 this morning that talks about a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that grows and, and in a tree it, it might take it a year or two the process is a little bit longer but in due season that will be a mature tree producing fruit well that illustration is helpful we, we can also look at scripture and find an example there are many but there's a a particular use of this word in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 that refers to Noah and that verse says Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation Noah walked with God now that word blameless there in that middle phrase is the same idea here in the word that we're looking at for maturity blameless doesn't mean sinless Noah was not sinless was he but there was a maturity, a completeness, a, a meeting of a standard. That's another part of the definition of this word. There's a, there's a standard that, that must be met. And so Noah, who we know lived in the midst of a very sinful generation of people, stood out. His behavior was not like those around him. He, he acted differently. This is a person who is spiritually mature. He, he stood out in the world. The world that had rejected God and embraced sin. And so a person, when we talk about someone who is uh, spiritually mature, we don't mean someone who is morally perfect, but someone who has committed their ways to the Lord. And we to see this further in Colossians, we have uh, a, a description, actually, when we look over in chapter 3, Paul is explaining this later. Uh, lots of times when you have a question about uh, something in Scripture, the best thing to do is just keep reading. Mm -hmm. Just keep reading. So we have this idea here in chapter 1 of, of uh, presenting everyone mature in Christ, and you might say, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, Paul has a description. You get over to chapter 3, and beginning in verse 5, he, he says that that one in Christ must put off sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, anger, slander, obscene talk, lying, and there are more. But the picture that he gives us here in this description is uh, of someone who takes off dirty, tattered clothes. That's taking off the old man, the sin, and then putting on new clothes. And so let me, let me pick up in verse 12 of chapter 3 where he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That is a description of one who is mature in Christ. So if this is something that you find yourself dealing with or you're wanting to take evaluation, read these two lists and ask yourself, okay, have I, have I taken this one off? Am I putting this one off? This is, this is dirty, tattered. Uh, someone who is a, a part of the bride of Christ should not look like this. Now, it takes a little bit of time, as I've learned, uh, who's uh, had a daughter who was married this past year. Uh, we've been involved with some other friends who uh, have gotten married, and uh, so uh, weddings at six o'clock. Well, you know it's going to take a little time to get ready. You know what that means for the the bride? I thought it meant well, you better get there about uh, four o'clock. <laughs> no, you better get there eight o'clock in the morning. No, that's crazy. <laughs> oh no, no, it's not. It takes a long time. Uh, but for the bride to be, be prepared and to get ready, right? And so sometimes this does take time. It, it doesn't happen overnight. But we have this illustration and example and description. And then finally now we have the application of this. To whom does this apply? This, this process of maturity. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about everyone. This is something that should be taking place in the hearts and lives of everyone in the church. Not a, a select few who maybe have uh, more seminary education or had a better upbringing or better background or they come from this background. No, 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 no. In fact, that's the very thing that the apostle is dealing with in this letter to the Colossians, uh, an idea back then that was known as Gnosticism. Only certain ones can get this. There's only a few people who have this, this special ability to, to rise up and, and, and receive this kind of knowledge. And Paul, we, we know that he deals with this argument because he says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's, it's corporate. It's not a select few. Everyone is involved. And if you don't notice this, you, you see there that he says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone Mature in Christ. Do you see it? Everyone, everyone, everyone. So if you're here today and you're a part of the Lord's church, this pertains to you. This is for you. You're in the midst of this process. So, how's it going? How you doing? Are, are you growing? And maturing in your faith. Or are you just spinning your wheels, stuck in the bar, going nowhere? The engine's running, the wheels are moving, but nothing's happening. 
Well, please know and understand that the Lord's will for you is to come to maturity, to, to fullness, completeness, perfected in Christ as we await the day of Christ. So that's the first part. That's the goal, the, the purpose, the maturity of the church. I want to consider for a moment now the second part of this verse. Actually, the first part, we're working backwards, which is this. How do we get there? How does this happen? And what's so great about what the Lord is doing in his church is that he tells us. He doesn't say, here's the goal. This is the purpose. Figure it out, okay? He tells us how he is doing this, how he is going to achieve it. <clears throat> or maybe better in a passive voice as it relates to me and you, how this goal is achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And that is means. There is a means to maturity. It's helpful if you know where you're going helpful to know how to get there, isn't it? Someone who tells you how to go somewhere you've never been but doesn't tell you how to get there doesn't really help you much, do they? So we have to know how to get there, and the Lord tells us that. And there is a means for the Lord's church to be presented on the day of Christ as mature, complete, perfected in Him. And how is that? Well, it's through the gospel. No surprise there, is it? It's through the gospel. Paul says, we preach Christ. And it is through this preaching of Christ that the maturity of the church <coughs> comes about. Christ is the focus. In fact, uh, structurally, uh, literarily, when we look at this verse, we know that he's the focus. Now, how do we know that? Well, this, this verse has what I call an inclusio. It begins with a relative pronoun in the original. It's a Greek word that is literally translated who, and it refers to Christ, which we see at the end of verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory, who we proclaim. You think back to our responsive reading. We saw the prophecy in Zephaniah, right? That told us what this was, that Christ would be in the midst of his people. We proclaim the word of Christ today, the good news of the gospel. We must recognize it. Christ is here. The hope of Christ. So we have the last word in this verse 28 is Christ. And so it begins with Christ and it ends with Christ. Where do you think the focus should be? We don't have to wonder, do we, about how this maturity will be uh, attained. We don't have to come up with uh, the, the, the means ourselves. The Lord has provided it. Now, we need to, to first take note here that Paul mentions not simply Christ, but that Christ is proclaimed. We need to talk about this. We need to recognize the emphasis on proclamation. What does this mean? Well, proclamation is the public declaration of a message. The public declaration of a message. And I think 
considering the context of this, this passage that we have looked at here, what Paul is talking about here is the gathering of the local church on the Lord's Day. When the church comes together, we come together and worship, and that worship focuses on what? The proclamation of the word. And we do other things. We sing. We pray. We confess our sins. We give our gifts. We fellowship together. We do lots of things every Lord's Day, but we put a primacy on the preaching of the word, right? This idea of proclamation and the centrality of preaching uh, this is simply the biblical model. Sometimes I, I face the accusation when, when I try to defend this of saying, well, that's just a, a thing that was kind of brought, brought up in the Reformation. This is the biblical model, brothers and sisters. And the early church recognized this model, and it carried on for years. And yes, unfortunately, over time it waned and, and was almost lost. It was something that was recovered in the days of the Reformation. And so it is a tradition that we embrace, we recognize that it is the way given to us in God's Word. In fact, I, I think I can take one verse of Scripture to make the case for this because many churches today have jettisoned the preaching of the Gospel. They've just completely thrown it out and replaced it with well, depending on where you go, there might be an hour of singing and then a, a, maybe a, a few minutes of an encouraging message at the end. There might be stories. Some churches espouse two people coming up and sitting down at a table with their coffee and just talking back and forth. And then there's drama and dramatic performances and, and interpretive dance. Goodness. And we wonder why there's no maturity in some of the Lord's churches. Well, we, we know. I've just described a few things. There's anything out there now being called worship. But we recognize the primacy of preaching the public declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ because without it, there is no growth. In fact, I, I would say that it, it is probably not a true church. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 for just a moment, and, and I think I can make the case here. I want you to see four points in this verse pertaining to the preaching of the word of God. Now, uh, earlier in verse 9, Paul had, had stated that he had come there and proclaimed the gospel of God. And so now in verse 13, I want to read this. Uh, and, and it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now I want to go through this verse real quickly and just point out to you four things. Notice that the Thessalonians received the Word. They accepted it. 
They believed it. Now, for this to have happened, the second point is, is that they heard it. In other words, there was a public proclamation of the word, and they heard. They heard the gospel of God. And then the third point, uh, what is it that they accepted? They accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Brothers and sisters, please see this. This is very important. What makes this event today unique is not me, but Scripture. The Word of God is what makes this a unique event. What is taking place today here at this church as with the Colossians, as with the Thessalonians is the continuation of apostolic gospel ministry. It's supernatural because of the word proclaimed. Not the preacher. <laughs> we preach the same gospel Paul preached. <laughs> How do we know this? We'll look at point four. It was at work in them. And it's at work today. It is producing fruit. It is causing the Lord's church to grow into maturity. You may not see it. You may not recognize it. We may not be able to quantify it. But I want to give you this encouraging word. We live in a day where there's a lot of emphasis on growth. How big is your church? When I'm asked that question, I don't really know how to answer it. I want to say, I think probably about like this. Maybe a little more. I know how big we're going to be. Right? I, I mean, the end result will happen as long as we stick to the method that's given to us. So we go back now to this word about proclamation. We proclaim Christ. Paul says, Him we proclaim. What does it mean to proclaim Christ? Well, it means, as we saw in the first Thessalonians passage, it means to preach the gospel of God, the word of God. It's to preach the gospel. It's to preach the Bible, the whole Bible. And wherever we are in the Bible, when we preach from God's word, we preach Christ. We preach his death and burial and resurrection as, as promised, as pictured. Uh, wherever it is in the Bible, it's there on every page. It is the, the beautiful gem on every page of Scripture. We preach Christ and all the wonderful provisions made for sinners by a loving Heavenly Father. Him we proclaim. This proclamation that we are talking about here is described by Paul with two phrases. I want you to notice first that he says that he proclaims Christ through warning. Him we proclaim warning everyone. Now, it's interesting to me that both the ESV and the King James have the word warning. It's not 
incorrect. The actual Greek word is the word nuthateo, and I bring that up not because you'll think I'm really good with Greek, but maybe you've heard of nuthetic counseling. If you've ever heard of nuthetic counseling, it comes from this Greek word. And this word is almost always translated admonish. We don't use that word, do we? Very much. Mark, you, you supervise people. I want to challenge you this week to start using. Let's resurrect this word. Uh, I want to admonish you now, so-and-so. Uh, get to work. <laughs> husbands, let's admonish our wives. Wives, admonish your husbands. Uh, this is probably not going to happen, okay? I'm on a fool's errand here. But anyway, this is a word that we find often in Scripture, this word uh, admonish, and it has with it the idea of warning. As I said, that's not totally incorrect. But but what we're looking at here in this word uh, admonish is instructing or correcting. If you're a parent with children, you do this all the time. No, 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 no. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Right? We have to do this with our children. If you are, uh, for example, a mom, and you've got a daughter who is going in the kitchen to bake a cake. Um, you go in the kitchen, and you've got the recipe, you've got your ingredients, and you're kind of watching her, and you see her grab the tablespoon when it should be the teaspoon. Now, to me, that's okay, whatever, no big deal. A spoon's a spoon. In some recipes, that's significant, isn't it? You put in three tablespoons of this instead of three teaspoons, and then okay, what happened? And so, what do you do? Oh, oh, look, look closely. You've got the, the, the what, what is it? The, the, the TBSP? Oh, now those, that means tablespoon, and it just is TSP, if I got that right. That's a teaspoon. So look closely at the fine print, right? You have to, you have to show your daughter. Same thing with a with a dad who's teaching a son how to, to go out and maybe fix something with some tools. Okay, so you take these tools and no, 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 you don't need that one. You want this one. This is a better tool for that. Why? Well, we don't want to sit watch our kids sit there and agonize and make something that we can't eat or or, or try to repair something that will take them two or three times as long. So this is the idea here that we have with admonish. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish, you same word that he's using here, as my beloved children. So that's why I give the example of parents with children. That's what we do, right? And so this implies observation, care, correction when necessary example I mentioned nuthetic counseling earlier where we get this word admonish uh, I hear so many people talking about going and getting counseling today it's like almost everybody I know is going and getting counseling listen I'm not against counseling okay counseling is a good thing if you need counseling go and get counseling Pastor Randy is not saying don't get counseling is everybody clear? But let me tell you what drives me crazy. Is I have a lot of Christian friends.
friends, and I believe many of them are, I don't know about some of them, who go to their counseling to be admonished, to be encouraged, maybe to be corrected, but they don't go to church on Sunday morning to hear the proclamation of the gospel. That's a huge inconsistency. Because Paul says that through the proclamation of the gospel, there is warning, there is admonishing. And I would be willing to bet you that if more people were sitting under the preaching of God's word on Sunday morning, there would be less counseling needed. That's my opinion. With warning, we also have this word teaching him. We proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone, teaching everyone. The word here literally means to instruct by word of mouth. You see again the emphasis on declaration. Declaration. Uh, preaching and teaching is speaking publicly. But notice, brothers and sisters, that it engages the mind. So, I'm doing my part. <laughs> Are you doing your part? Are you here? Listening, engaged with God's Word. Now, we're talking about a supernatural work that's taking place here in God's church through the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the Lord Jesus through the Spirit of God. But there is a calling on the Lord's church to be engaged because it, it, it involves the imparting of truth into the mind, which cannot take place. We're not listening, right? Remember, the Thessalonians heard Paul preach God's word. What does that mean? They were listening. They didn't just show up for church. They came and they understood, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to listen. They hear God speak. Because that's what's taking place here today. Sometimes I think the teacher is talking and it reminds me of when I was in school, and unfortunately, they put me by the window, and the teacher was up there talking, and me and some of my friends, I could see them doing it too. The teacher's just up there talking, talking, teaching, teaching, and I'm looking out the window, and I see the clouds and the trees and the grass, <laughs> and I'm, I'm out there. I'm not even in the classroom. <laughs> Sometimes this happens. In gospel proclamation, teaching takes place, but one must learn and must listen. And so we have these two often used side by side. Uh, we can find many, many examples throughout the New Testament where Paul uses admonish and teach, and teach and admonish and warn, depending on the translation. And in fact, what's interesting about these two words is that he encourages the church brothers and sisters in the congregation to do this with one another Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom the same two words teaching and admonishing one another and so there we have it brothers and sisters 
You want to know what's taking place? You want to know why? This is why. We are committed to the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching of his gospel. Because we're approaching that day. It's coming soon. And we want to be presented to our Lord Jesus as having reached the end of that process. We've grown to complete maturity, perfected in him through the preaching of his word. May God grant that this will indeed take place here in our midst as we faithfully gather each Lord's Day. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come today, we are mindful that our Lord Jesus has come into this world to save sinners. And we express that we have no hope for salvation apart from his life and death and burial and resurrection for us. And we express today, Father, our great joy in knowing not only the hope of salvation that we have, but the hope that we will be presented as your perfect and complete bride one day through the preaching of the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for this. We pray this in his sweet and precious name. Amen.